0: Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan.
1: I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles.
0: I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and not just any fantasy today. Oh, That is right, because today we are concluding our buddy read of the First Law Trilogy with that can only mean the book called The Last Argument of Kings by Joe Abercrombie.
1: Well, Charles, it's been a pretty epic trilogy of buddy reads here, Charles, and I'm ready to dive right into the last argument of kings uh i should probably give a heads up to any listeners if this is your first time tuning into the friends talking fantasy podcast for one of our buddy read discussion episodes They are full of spoilers Mm -hmm. for the episode, for sorry, the book that we are discussing in this particular episode, as well as the books that come before in the series. So if you've yet to read the full First Law trilogy up through The Last Argument of Kings, then now is a good time to, first off, to go (laughs) to wherever you need to go to. Buy this wonderful series because it is amazing. Yes. And second, it's a great time to turn this down in your headphones and save this for later until you've gotten through Joe Abercrombie's incredible series.
0: Well said, Dylan. You know, I'm so relieved now that the spoiler warnings are off and we can talk about this series in its entirety, I think uh, <laughs> the first Law Trilogy has to have one of the records for most um, spoilers. We've had to go back and edit out from our conversations <laughs> simple things like title slips or hinting yes. at character relationships or like just mentioning a character is in a certain place at a certain time. It's like, oh, my God, like so much about what makes the series great is how all these characters end up at the end of uh, Last Argument of Kings. And we're trying to say how clever it was that what's happening here, uh, how it plays out in the ending. And you just, we couldn't have those conversations. We kept tripping over ourselves. And now it's just like, finally, we can talk about bias, We can talk about Glockto. We can
1: talk about everybody from start to finish.
0: It's so relieving.
1: (laughs) Right. I think there was one point in one of our episodes where (laughs) I (laughs) said a character's name And I wasn't supposed to, and you had to edit it out, probably me saying it (laughs) twice in a row. So, Charles, you're doing awesome work behind the scenes. They are the dachshund of our podcast, as we (laughs) like to say, editing out all of my mistakes. And, Charles, like you were saying, there's no one that we're more excited to talk about with the training wheels off, if you will, than... Bias first of the magi, and yes. some would say first of the moneylenders.
0: <laughs> some would say, some like um, Archlector Glockta. <laughs> yes, so you can say yes. that title now. <laughs> or we could say Superior Glockta. We could say whatever, you know, whatever we want. We could want. say whatever we want, yes. And, well,
1: um, well mo- I, I can I can't. You have read a little I've bit, bit further through, ahead. I've yes, only read, I've read one up of up the standalones, which
0: doesn't really spoil anything for this trilogy. So right. I feel pretty safe. But yeah, Dylan's read all of the books that take place in the First Law universe, so he might have some knowledge that the rest of us don't have. But hey, you know what? Share. He's not going to share. He's gonna. He's gonna be good about it. And uh, I'm just. Let's just flip and get into it, man. There's a lot to cover here. Um, But it starts, the series starts off strong. Now, last, arg- the series, the book starts off strong. Last argument of kings, which comes from King Louis, the something, something, um, that 14th, he, I believe, 14th. Good on you. Thank you. <laughs> that it's what was inscribed on all of his canons. That's the last argument of kings is, is war. So. That is what kicks us off in the series. And we start with in the plot electing a king. You know, Glock does campaigning for votes on behalf of SALT, archlector Salt, and they're competing for votes against High Justice Morovia. You have this sense of like, you know, you, you get a little bit of this subverting or this little sarcasm that Abercrombie has of like it's a democracy, but you of course you buy the votes. Like that's mm-hmm. how voting works. So you get a taste of that right away in these moments, which, I, you know, it's... And and through Glockta, who already, like, is dis, uh, disenchanted from everything possible about life, is like, well, of course. And that's just what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to bribe people so that we can elect a puppet king.
1: Right. Well, like we said, Charles, I think Glockta is the one who's just internal monologue and way of seeing things most aligns with just the the kind of book he's in. <laughs> like yes. He's got a very dark way yes. of seeing the world, and he's super pessimistic, but it's also realistic in the world of Joe Abercrombie, and we all know you have to be realistic about these things. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Glockta, there's legitimately a point, this is well after in the plot point we're talking about right now but we're we're fair game here so yeah he legitimately is ready to die and then is spared and is like oh i i was ready to die and then i don't like maybe the key to not dying is to like be just cool with it and <laughs> even want it and that's a very <laughs> i think self-aware move for a character in the first law series he's super super cynical charles
0: <laughs> and speaking of self aware we have the exact opposite of that in <laughs> um, He's here's gotten better though he's well he gets better but <laughs> at the wrong times and the wrong ways it's so funny that's well said <laughs> but um so the king is now dead uh, a bit ahead of schedule and everyone's trying to vote on who's going to be king. And we all know from reading the series that it is not Brock who was the um, perceived oh, no. front runner. Oh, no. Baez in the 11th hour convinces the open council to elect Gisal with stories of his heroic deeds heroic deeds that we all saw <laughs> and <laughs> claims Gisal is the illegitimate son of King Guslav so it's like he he went off into the into the edge of the world and you know fought off this on the bridge and all these other things like
1: oh, right yeah and Gisal's
0: just like I deserve this
1: <laughs> well it's interesting cuz at first he doesn't feel like he deserves it, but I think one of Abercrombie's almost theses in the first law, maybe the the main one of the main things he's trying to get across is that if you go back to similar circumstances, then these all these character developments, all these changes you've gone through and stuff like that, will eventually. Revert. It's like if you are capable, this is a big thing I think that Joe Abercrombie subverts is he has its characters go through all of this character development where just as much as any other series, I would say. And yeah. then what he does is then peel it back and say, well, if you can change in these maybe good ways, like I think Giselle was doing, mm-hmm. then you can also change again and change back when you're back in these more typical circumstances and gizal i think maintains a lot of what he's changed with like he's trying to be a good king when he gets into the role but he definitely starts to change back to those more narcissistic tendencies as soon as even just i mean even before he's king even just when he's returning uh to uh, the agron from (laughs) <laughs> quelling rebellions and stuff like that that he didn't really earn. Right. So yeah, he's pretty quick back to. It, it's so funny. Ways. He comes
0: back like from that adventure to the end of the world that we all read in Before They're Hanged, and he's like, oh, leave violence to other people. You know, powers like just get you in all kinds of trouble. I just want to be with Artie." And then the minute they're like, "We're promoting you," he's like, "Oh." Yeah. And like they put like the new title on him and they give him a new job. They put the robes on him, the crown on him. And he just immediately you watch him revert back right away. He almost forgets about Artie completely. And he's like literally outside the front door of having just like been with her. And then they're like, we're going to promote you and send you off on a quest. He's like, oh, cool. Like, finally, this is awesome. I've just been promoted. How great is this? It's like, did you not forget all that stuff Logan was teaching you Like right before this? Like, you're with Artie right now. You've got it made. So.
1: <laughs> yes and no. Ch- I don't know. I think I see Giselle as a little bit more resistant at first. Like, more reluctant to jump into these things than he... Eventually, he falls into it but i think he's trying at first to stick to some of these lessons and he kind of goes through these rationalizations similar to it's almost like that it makes sense that logan influenced tim to mm-hmm. do all these things but that the lessons didn't quite stick and he ends up reverting back to his own ways when old ways when put in similar circumstances cuz that's kind of logan's thing too in this book
0: that's true but for me
1: like what I love about Jazal is those moments where he does
0: those character growth kind of things or is tempted. That almost becomes like the joke like abercrombie's telling it, it's kind of like i laugh at some of these moments right where it's like you're just imagining all these people around him it's like you're being promoted we're sending you on a mission he's like uh, what And it's like here's your title go 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 and then he's like yeah of course like he he talks himself into it he, and it's almost he does funny. Talk himself into it. it's it, it's funny to watch that because he's literally like you know just talking about bot in his head like this is the new me like i'm gonna make it work and then it immediately gets swept under the rug, like juxtaposed right with that scene of him getting promoted. And that happens quite a bit. Like he decides he's going to be a good King and that, like at like the most inconvenient times and his ideas are super inconvenient to Baez and the count, in the close council and it's just funny to watch him go and ultimately like accomplish nothing <laughs> so yeah it's um to to me it's like he he does the right things at the inopportune times and you know he he gives in to temptations and we still see him in this book as like a more of a good guy but he's like by the end, anyway. by the end, but he's like playing this game that he has no idea what's going on. Like he's, oh yeah, he's working at his level, but he's like way too many levels removed, and he, it, it couldn't be more clueless. Even towards the end, he's just like, I, I'm just resigning myself now to this because I can't, <laughs> like, I don't get it.
1: <laughs> right. Well, the only thing he really understands by the end is not to mess with Baez and yeah. to listen to Glockta because he, otherwise he'd be messing with Baez. Yeah. And for a king, that's exactly the lesson that Baez wants him to learn and, and exactly. he really doesn't need him to know anything yeah. else. In fact, yeah. anything else is arguably a hindrance. Yeah, that's Baez. the whole reason
0: Baez lifted him up in the first place. <laughs> right. so, but we will get into that. I love that scene where Baez kind of daddy's up on on Giselle but we have
1: so much more to get through can I say one more thing on Giselle of course uh, Charles I I think that you know you're saying it's funny and it is funny like I do think Giselle these like moments where he it's he fails upward right yeah that's kind of the Giselle storyline and he ends up king he ends up kind of this puppet and I, I guess there are a lot of funny moments there but After a few reads, Charles, at this point, I'm kind of... My dominant emotion around Giselle's arc is just, like, sadness. Like, I feel Mm. really sad for this guy who ends up getting everything that he wants, thinks, thought he wanted, really, and then is miserable in that situation. It's actually super sad. I mean, where he
0: ends up is quite tragic. He ends up, like, totally isolated and alone and, ironically he's one of the most powerless people right. there is and he's the king and that i think is like the cruel joke that that is yes. like that cuts in here There, there is this like bitter irony to poor jazal and his and his story arc is that abercrombie's like here's the most like ineffective powerless person and he's the king of the union and we, because he's the puppet for Baez and right he he had to give up already to be with the queen but the queen doesn't love him at all and you know like these kinds of things are very tragic it ends up isolating like oh Jazal learns his lessons but he's like in in He's in a position where he can't do anything about it. He's like, you know, right. the people should have a democracy. We should build hospitals. We should feed the hungry. Right. And like, like those would our breakthrough moments for someone in the first book was just admiring his chin all the time. Right. <laughs> but it's like it doesn't matter. Like, who cares? Because he can't. Because Baez is like, that's a horrible idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, that's super well said, Charles. I think you hit the nail on the head with gizal and and the tragic irony of being this powerless person as king and there's even reflections from gizal where he's like oh when i was captain uh, luther Mm. i was able to wake up when i want i could have been with arty if i really wanted to the only thing that was getting in the way was my own ego and being caught up on nonsense and now that i'm king gizal and now that he solved his ego problem too things i want to i can't i spend all day doing what other people want me to do and i'm married to someone who other people want me to be married to and that's like character traits did a reverse
0: you know he went from low standing obnoxious to like kind of a chill guy high standing you know he did the flip and just by the nature of still being at those Opposites, he can't really get what he wants, so it's kind of funny. To yeah, it's funny, but it's also sad, like you said. He he definitely has one of the more sad um arcs. You know, he's being used by everybody, and no one likes him. So it's like a really it's a really sad thing. Um, speaking of potentially sad arcs, here we have to go to the north. We have to do the Bethod arc
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> Bethod. All right. Well shall we get into it charles yeah
0: we've got our good old logan nine fingers heading back to settle some scores with bethad and you know we get this really um we get this moment of like finally where uh, logan is reunited with dogman and the crew you know cuz we've known that they're both alive this whole time but they both thought each other were just dead if that makes sense like, so it's like oh finally they're meeting up and it's like hallelujah the best friends are back together
1: that is an epic moment Charles can I back us up just a bit though actually now that I'm thinking about it I you know Pharaoh doesn't get the doesn't get the credit ever and I don't want to shy away from just speaking about the moment where Logan and Pharaoh basically have a chance to put it aside and uh, put aside any differences and actually stay together when they land at the docks. Because they're at Adua and they are actually given this sort of last conversation that goes pretty brief. And I think that's the first of many steps for Logan toward becoming the bloody nine again.
0: Right. And Abercrombie, that was an interesting moment where they're all kind of breaking off once they get back to the Union and there were so many times, both in Logan's perspective and Pharaoh's, where they both acknowledged that they want to say something, but then the timing was never right. It was always kind of awkward, or they were expecting the other person to say something and they just said something, or they said something that they didn't mean. They were just kind of socially awkward and confused, you know, and that caused them to clam up. So it's like that continually happened. And there could maybe be a parallel universe in which the setting made it so that they clicked and said the right thing at the right time it it just never did it was just yeah. a series of blunders that you know pharaoh ended up being too proud to turn back and Logan also like didn't think it was going to happen and and they parted ways and that is a good moment to bring up because it is kind of like this like what if of like he could have he could have there's no reason that he needed to go back and fight Bethod and if he had listened to his own advice he um would avoid violence at all costs but he's got kind of this this like you know martyr kind of syndrome of like well i'm good at killing and that's all i can do and i'm gonna keep doing it even though i tell everyone else to leave it to the people dumb enough to do it and i'm the one that and I'm, not, I'm not dumb
1: right that's well said charles and we get that throughout from logan is these rationalizations that he's able to keep telling himself how he well you have to be realistic about these things i've already done this and now i might as well do that and this sets off a chain of events that bring him back to where he ends up being by the end of this whole thing way more like the kind of person we kept hearing he was in the past and he does have reflections like oh, i should just stayed with pharaoh But I couldn't because blah, blah, blah. And it's always like, yeah, but also you could. And here he could. But instead, we end up with, well, I got nothing left but scores, so I might as well settle them, which is another just false. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) like, no, (laughs) You could try and do anything else. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be Pharaoh. You could. Go anywhere else yeah. and try anything else, and but he one of the things doesn't. I
0: would say is, like, I don't know if Pharaoh and Logan could ever make it, even sure. if all the stars were aligned anyway. Um, and we know they don't towards the end, but that could be for a whole other reason. But um, at least for now, it's like they weren't that solid of a relationship when they spent all that time together anyway. I just don't think Logan is capable of it. I don't think Pharaoh's capable of it either. You know, they're two people who are, who are so... Um, dug into their one way of life that there's no going back for either of them. It's like they're almost kind of self-martyrs
1: in 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 a way. You make good points there, Charles. And I think that, yeah, the same part of Logan and Pharaoh that brings them both back through arcs that make them... Be- both focused on vengeance uh, Mm. in the end, which is probably completely unsurprising for Pharaoh. It's probably, (laughs) it's her favorite word is vengeance. But Logan, I think we were led to believe in some ways, maybe was on this redemption arc. And then he has those qualities that you were bringing up that had him going back uh, to settle these scores and moving away from Pharaoh. And maybe it never would have worked out with them, but, yeah, there's this alternative idea of, like, if Logan was different and able to listen to his own advice a bit, it didn't even have to be f- with Pharaoh, even if that wouldn't have worked out. It could just be, like you were saying, Charles, literally do anything else yes. except for go settle scores. <laughs> yes. It's like that. He can't yeah. look
0: his philosophies versus his rationalizations, you know. It's like once he turns that perspective on himself, it just completely falls apart and... I guess that just has to do with his image of himself, you know, it's kind of self deprecating in a way. And like, he's almost doing it as like, it's what I deserve. It's all I know how to do, you know? So it, it, it is tragic in ways and that, and that, but it does bring him to reunite with Dogman and crew, yes. which um, was one of those like finally moments that we got in, in the beginning of the story that I, I was like, yay, everyone's together.
1: Right. I mean, the story of The First Law starts with Logan getting separated from this crew. And mm-hmm. it is an epic moment when he meets up with them again. And as always, just the way that each individual character reacts to Logan tells you so much about Logan, tells you so much about them. And the way he interacts with the Dogmen is kind of, they have such a history that they basically just clasp hands and it's like, enough said I'm yeah it's like it three trees back to the mud oh yeah okay well
0: <laughs> most of you pretty good i thought you were all dead until recently um then there's the great moments with we might be going skipping in a little bit but i loved when they all were talking about shivers he's like oh he's so-and-so son he's like but he's dead too it's like no the other son. son yeah rattlesnake son but he's dead too it's like no the younger one he's like he's just a boy it's like count the winters you know like they have yes. that conversation with everyone individually where it's like what but he's dead it's like no the younger one yeah I, you know it's so great to see like they do have this history and they do have this companionship and this friendship that you know can't be replaced this is just like a lot of like the north to me feels so like lived in and so you know they're so funny the way they experience
1: life. <laughs> it's just, like so great. <laughs> and I meant to say Rattleneck son, by the way. Rattleneck, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, shivers. Rattleneck son. Not the not that one. The other one. Count the winters. Not just a boy. Yeah. That, <laughs> count the winters. Not just a boy anymore. He's a very tall man with long hair, and he's ready to fight. He's a very strong fighter. We learn pretty early on and shivers is one of my favorite characters in the first law universe. So I think I'm, I'm excited to get into him a little bit more. There'll be some cool moments with shivers where he chooses a little bit of a different path Mm. than the one Logan seems to be on. So you get these cool moments. It's, it's awesome to see the gang back together
0: yep yep and speaking of like um fun side characters from the north we have the eccentric hillman crumicky fail who forces himself into the like war party with dogman and logan and they concoct this like last stand kind of scheme in the high places where it's like let's put all of us together, all these men that Bethought hates more than anyone else in the world, go into this fortress and wall ourselves off. And he'll take the bait; he couldn't resist such a prize. And then we'll have the Union come in and sweep them out. That was the that was the plan. And well, um, it makes
1: a lot of sense, Charles. I'm sure Chromic has a great fortress ready for something like that, right?
0: For sure. And you know, Logan's love by the moon. And <laughs> <laughs> those interactions
1: are so good. Charles, like, there's a, there's a moment where so Crumick is obsessed with Logan. Like, saw yeah. him in I think it was when he fought Shama Heartless. Mm-hmm. Uh, Croomic saw Logan basically brutally kill this other incredible named man in a duel and since then has been just like obsessed with (laughs) Logan. And when Logan shows up, Kromit like gets down and like hugs Logan around the knees. Like (laughs) like the moon. (laughs) Yeah. And he's always (laughs) telling him how beloved of the moon he is. And it's very, it's very interesting. And that's something Abercrombie does so well is just, how he establishes these side characters and their voices. So yeah, And what's well. interesting
0: about Cromic Fail is like, is he wise or is he crazy? <laughs> and like, you, if you listen to him enough, he starts to make sense. And then like <laughs> the plan starts to unfold and you're like, oh, this guy is just an insane person. You know, you're like, great. We'll, we'll like wall up in his fortress. Right. Because Bethel has been trying to kill him for years and hasn't, hasn't succeeded. And then you get there and it's, a non-existent fortress. they had to build the walls themselves. and Cruy fail right. like, oh yeah, well, we'll do that, you know. It's like the important thing is we're here and the moon shines on you, and that's the important thing. And you're like, is there anything to that? Like um we know Logan goes a little crazy, but it's never uh, explored. So it's like this is he wise or is he crazy trope that's kind of put through Chromay fail,
1: right. He has all his kids
0: that it can barely hold his weapons that he has fight with him and carry his stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. Little Isser and he fell out there mm-hmm. with the, what was it? The spear that she was carrying or something anyway. It was like an and axe. they were having some, an ax. So they were having some trouble carrying that around, but yeah, Krummuk takes them over there. He, they're also depending on the union, to get it together and mm-hmm. actually basically bring up the flank once they've trapped Bethod there. But we're dealing with typical Union nonsense when Lord <laughs> Marshal Burr passes away uh, and they finally, gotta... finally
0: dies <laughs> it's like oh he survived like when he walked out of the tent i was like genuinely surprised like i thought he was dead and that fun twist in before they're hanged is so good and then they have right. that touching moment um in this book where he's like you did the right thing like i'm proud of you we're the only ones that kind of understand and there's a lot you have to do as a leader like he kind of gives him that you know father figure moment and which we realize now is like a passing the torch moment because poor old uh, Marshall Burr passes in his sleep. And with the king also dead, there's basically just a standstill with the Union (laughs) troops. They're just like, we're not doing anything until we figure out what's going on. Where it's like, are you kidding me? We have to go kill beth It's why we're here. It's like, no, 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 no. We have to figure out who's going to be in charge. So that was like a funny little twist in development there. It's just like the power of bureaucracy.
1: And Polder and Croy are classic generals from the Union who just cancel each other out here, basically. And it ends up in a situation by just a twist of fate that Giselle, now king, just is drunk during a council meeting. And starts saying that he wants west to be the lord marshal yes and he insists he, it he's like i am the king <laughs> and right. he hits one of them in the head with this he throws his goblin <laughs> yeah. yeah which bias <laughs> approves bias of all about it yeah yeah <laughs> well by <laughs> bias thought an occasional temper tantrum from the king <laughs> renders them feared enough but not to the point where if you're throwing them all the time, then yes, everyone thinks you're right. Out of it, this so.
0: one he was on board with, but he gets progressively less and less enthusiastic about yes. Giselle uh, standing up for himself as, as time goes on. But <laughs> in this moment, it ended up bringing a sw- semi swift conclusion to this whole who's the new Lord Marshal. Um, you know, West does this really brilliant um, strategy to keep Polder and Croy in line he tells them the same thing <laughs> like pitting them against each other basically like oh i'm competing right. with your rival and you better not slip up and so they both think that they're falling
1: out of grace and need to impress lord marshall or get fired <laughs> exactly he tells them that the only thing he could disagree with when talking to the other general was the matter of the general that he's currently talking to. So he's like, Croy, the only thing me and Poulter disagreed on was the matter of you. Yeah. And Croy, I said, we got to give you a chance, but at the slightest error, I'm sending my this letter to my friend, the king, yeah. to have you dismissed. And he trusts in the fact that these two will not converse with each other yeah. so they will they not They compare the notes page. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're not going to be like wait he told me this he told me that like these And the two. note he was
0: threatening him with wasn't real you know it yes. was v- very much a nice um move of um scheming on on Wes's part
1: Pike was proud of him
0: Pike was proud Pike was impressed yeah. and you know when you in- impress someone like Pike that you're um you're really in the thick of it. <laughs> You're being real yeah. deceptive and sneaky. <laughs> so that ends up working. And in the 11th hour, the Union arrives, you know, drives out Bethod from the high places. Fast forward, we're in Carleon. Carleon, Carleon. Oh.
1: Carleon, but uh, J- J- Charles, we should talk about when Logan goes bloody nine and kills T- Tol Duru Thunderhead, yeah. as well as one of Krummiki Fell's poor kids. Yeah. I mean, we get this situation. We've heard so much about, oh, I'm the... By nine, I transform, and then I, uh, you see it happen. And every time he's like, "Oh, like I should kill one of my friends, but first I'm going to kill all the enemies." Right, right. like but then I'll get to my friend
0: Pharaoh. He almost killed. Right. Um, I don't know if he's killed Dogman at this point yet or not, but there well, may he, have been. He one, doesn't kill Dogman. Well, man. he like tries to. I know yeah, he tries he to at the end, but I think he also thinks about it earlier on. I can't remember, but yeah, he he. We've seen this a bunch of times where. We know that the Bloody Nine's kind of indiscriminate about who he kills, and sometimes that voice in the back of his head p- pulls back a little bit. But in this case, like, do a total 180 where Tolduru Thunderhead is like, Are you okay, Logan? And then, dagger to the neck right away. And he's like, to, bl- to touch the Bloody Nine is to, like, touch death, you know? It's like,
1: Dang, son,
0: that was cold. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and cold is exactly what Logan feels when the Bloody Nine is taking over. So it's appropriate, I think. It's a good fulfillment of a promise with the Bloody Nine here, which mm. is that the Bloody Nine isn't just there to come in at the eleventh hour, like you were saying earlier, Charles. Right. It's not just this thing that saves Logan. It's a thing that's killed people Logan cares about in the past and is apt to do it again. And it kept, and Abercrombie kept kind of teasing it. And finally, this moment with Tolduru and the sun is pretty messed up too, uh, shows us, no, the Bloody Nine w- will do things like this. Mm-hmm. And I'll also say, Charles, it was interesting seeing Tolduru gets a lot more time in the spotlight right before all of this. I guess yeah. when I see, I, you, I maybe you saw this since this is your second read too, Charles, is I was very able to see how... We get all these heart to heart moments all of a sudden with Tolduru <laughs> and Logan, like right before <laughs> Tolduru dies, which yeah. is play by Abercrombie to tell us how nice a guy. There's only really like a moment where Logan reflects on, like, Tolduru, like, that's a good man. Like, what a nice guy. And uh, yeah, that's what happens to the nice guys in uh, first law novel. That's true. And I like what you said about
0: like, paying off on these negative aspects of the bloody nine because it has kind of been this thing that's saved him more often than not it's like when you need to do some incredible feat of violence there's the bloody nine to help you through and it's kind of badass but we've known through the dialogue that logan is haunted by the bloody nine and that we know that it's his scores that have kept him in blood for so long and he's haunted by that and he's not proud of it by any means but we're like well it gets you out of all these pinches but then we finally see in this 180 um this 180 act of murder of his friend who was just trying to help him uh really speaks to like how big of a problem the bloody nine is and how disassociated the two really are
1: Well said, Charles. Yeah, and I think it parallels what Logan's arc is doing too. That's what's so masterfully executed by Abercrombie here is he's been telling us over and over Logan has a really dark past and he's a messed up guy. The bloody nine is even worse here. And we've also been able to kind of rationalize ourselves as readers that oh yeah but I mean all that's backstory and he's not he keeps doing all these like good things now in the current story he's redeeming himself and it's almost uh, enabled I'll say Mm -hmm. by the fact that the bloody nine even when that happens just like kills Shanka and stuff like not doesn't do anything that terrible for the most part like killing a friend and then now that Logan's kind of back on this path toward becoming the person who he was before the before the blade itself mm-hmm. we're seeing oh yeah like let's not forget the bloody nine is capable of these things and and honestly we'll see so maybe so is Logan
0: yeah but you can't argue the fact that the bloody nine didn't come in handy um in the epic battle of Logan oh, versus Fenris yeah. the feared a duel for the north in carlin you know the north the union basically is called back to fight off the gürkish and um they come up with this scheme with bethod of like you know what if you can just stay here for one or two days while you mobilize the troops we'll play you as a chip in this gamble of a trial by combat situation um against bethod and bethod accepts he puts um his champion his Fenris the feared which has been so well built up to this point. We know that it doesn't right. take damage. We know that it killed three trees and and you know, it's he's this huge hulking beast of a thing and we get that moment with the spirits as well of like he's been around for forever. He can't be hurt on that side, you know, and, and even Logan had learn some history about Fenris to fear leading up to this. And the bloody nine has been built up so much. He's never lost a battle, you know, he's just an expert at killing. And that all comes to a head. It's like two never defeated, hulking monsters of violence <laughs> going against each other. It's really exciting.
1: This is my favorite moment in the first mm. law. It is and... a
0: fantastic moment. It What I've always liked about, um, Abercrombie's fight scenes is he balances the power and the tension of power so well. He understands how strong his characters are and like builds them up. So by the time we get to this fight and we see Logan like getting crushed to death in a hug by. The feared and we know that he's losing that power battle we have an understanding of exactly how much power that is and like how and like how strong the feared must be and that makes that moment tense because we also know that he you know killed three trees and can't feel pain and has magical um support behind him that the bloody nine doesn't so this kind of mix of what we know we don't know how this is going to play out and we fully believe it could go in any direction at this point. You know, it's nearing the end of the series.
1: Exactly, Charles. I mean, you said it so well when you described it as well built toward basically, which is we've been establishing from that big epic fight with the feared and before they are hanged, mm-hmm. how strong the feared is Charles. And then like you were saying about the blade nine, that's a well-built too. And then, I think another thing that is adding to all of that is even though like we're talking about the Bloody Nine has mostly gotten Logan out of fixed like out of tough situations mm-hmm. we also know that Logan does not like when the Bloody Nine is coming out. Yes, it's know? always like a oh it's no, a, oh, please
0: no. no kind of thing.
1: And in this fight in this moment <laughs> yes. when we are seeing Logan being just destroyed by uh, the feared where like the only thing that could possibly give him a chance here is if the bloody nine comes out and then we start noticing the signs that the bloody nine is starting to come out and even logan now knows it's like, like yes, no this <laughs> this is a good thing and i got legitimate chills uh, from reading the line where it's like, so Logan's like, yes, yes. And then it's like, Logan laughed and the Bloody Nine laughed together. And yeah. it's like, oh my God. Like, this yeah. epic moment of like, the Bloody Nine's bad, 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 bad. Like, you don't want this. And now it's like, but it, like, the Bloody Nine's a terrible this villain. Is an all but sometimes Charles. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes a villain. A vicious killer is exactly what we need. And in that moment, it was the right tool for the job. Yeah. And how Abercrombie is able to use that tool. Is so incredible and what a fight! Just so well written and all that kind of stuff.
0: It's a really well written fight. And then going back to the balance, it's like what I love is that Logan, like the Bloody Nine, just didn't get so angry that he overpowered the feared in his moment of anger and killed him. It's like there was a lot of stuff that had to play out that gave all of these little glimmers of hope, little edges that the Bloody Nine was able to finally overpower the fear like the fear is obviously stronger than the bloody nine and like abercrombie commits to that you know so many times in fantasy it's just like my will is strong and i'll smite you now you know it's like just overpowering through like i learned a lesson as my character arc and now you're dead (laughs) but it's like no it's like i got some insider knowledge here about you know your weak points going into the fight and then we have wes who does his little act of rebellion and pulls the little strap off you have dogman grim and black dow in the castle trying to fight the um the sorceress, which I love that yeah. scene too. And so it's That's like great. all of these moments are happening at the same time and we're rapidly going around them. And we see Logan losing, even the bloody nine is starting to get overpowered. But it's all these little things and all that knowledge that he was able to get beforehand that, that tipped the scales. So it kept the pacing really good. It kept the threat really high. And yeah, the best the best fight scene in the whole trilogy for sure. It's a really great moment.
1: Well said, Charles. Yeah, everyone, all these amazing characters that, uh, not all of them, but quite a few of them, I'll say, that uh, Abercrombie has been building so well play a role in this fight, you know, from West to Logan to... Obviously is a great character, but then Dogman and Graham and Dow are doing their own part. So <laughs> Where
0: the sorceress catches them and is like, kill yourselves. I'm like, like oh, okay, that's a great idea. You know,
1: they're like they're like
0: under the spell and then all of a sudden it's like record scratch one eighty black Dow <laughs> axe to the Who else, face, right? Yeah. <laughs> so good. That whole scene where it's like, you know, she's let she's like holding all the cards, she's super powerful, but all it takes is an axe to the face. Splits her right in half. Which is um, which was so so funny and so good, and then that was like, Dog Man's like we have to wait for a, our chance to run, and Dow's like forget that and just starts running off, you know. <laughs> so it's like you already could see like the their dynamic, which we totally understood. This point, like so that's a total Black Dow moment, you know, of him yes. running across, and it was just like, you know, super super fun in that moment, and it kind of helped spread out the the pacing of the fight with the fear, and you know, just a. Really fun stretch of story going on.
1: <laughs> exactly, Charles. If there, <laughs> we didn't want to pick multiple characters for our side characters that uh, stole the show episode that we released uh, recently. We didn't mm-hmm. want to pick multiple from Abercrombie's work because we could have filled a whole episode <laughs> with these. But I think if we didn't go with Casca, I probably would have gone with Dow. Black yeah, that Dall, was great. an amazing side Grim
0: is great, too. I mean, I could talk for 20 minutes about Grim, which is more than Grim. Which is more ever than he yeah. could talk
1: about himself. Yeah,
0: because I, I think Grim is such a well-written character. And that might have to be a conversation for another day. But, like, what a brilliant character he is for all kinds of reasons. Uh, we'll get more on <laughs> yeah. that later on. But for now, like, Logan defeats the Feared. And there's this great moment that kind of wraps up this whole beth situation where... Literally, still like in battle mode. Logan kind of walks his way up the castle and and just obliterates Bethod. But as he's making his way up, Bethod like reveals all these moments. Like I, like you think I wanted all this? You put me down this path to the point where there was no going back. It's like I wanted to like reach a deal with these people, and he just went ahead and killed them, and that started more rivalries and more. And I was left with no option but to conquer everything. And that's what's really interesting about Abercrombie's writing and about Logan, because in most fantasy stories, like the story would be over. It's like we beat Bethad, hooray! Like we beat the feared, but it all gets kind of not stained, but it it kind of leaves us a little ominous with this idea of like, like we were brought here ultimately by your you know bloodthirstiness. You left us no choice but to like take over everything. This was on you and your never-ending killing spree
1: yeah and i think those are all very true of abercrombie's writing is that he's got this kind of you, you can't get this just hurrah victory moment where logan kills beth and then we get to see him become king which we do get to see uh, and it has to be kind of this like first off logan you might be a worse person than I am. And at least Beth Ad accuses him of being a way worse person than uh, Beth Ad is. And then the rise to being the king moment is also like, oh no, please no. Compared to in a lot of other fantasy novels where the rise to being the king after all this would be like, yes, like they did it. <laughs> and the, the thing that st- has stuck out to me on this read, Charles, is it makes you wonder to what extent the way Bethod speaks here. Obviously Logan has blood all over his hands, literally mm-hmm. and figuratively in this scene. Mm-hmm. And the the other thing is like, is Bethod's like, it was all you Logan, like you forced me into this it wasn't my fault, just another double down from Abercrombie on, like, everyone thinks that about themselves. And yeah, beth a terrible dude, too, but he sees himself the same way Logan does, which is like, oh, no, I'm just a leaf on the water that got dragged into this. It's like, beth this mastermind, but he's also, like, telling Logan, I had no control in this and it was all you.
0: Yeah. And I get a feeling it's a bit of both because Bethod brings up some good points. He's like, I wanted to make peace with this person. You went and killed their whole family. So it's like, oh, well, I, yeah. I can't make peace with them now. So you see that. But then he's also the one that brought on a sorceress and made deals with the Shanka and things like that, where it's like, okay, well, you're not redeemable by any means, but you do bring up, great things about logan's character because logan's a character that as a reader we really like and it's like logan's king like the main character that we really like is king that should be like a fun moment but you realize like logan might not be the man for the job because he's um got nothing but rivalries and he just makes more rivalries you know and um we see that like that's kind of the beginning of putting us in that mind space of like hey maybe this is Logan like for real like a guy that's killed so many people that he's got nothing but rivalries and I think that's the beginning of Logan's arc for the rest of this book which ultimately leads to him being kind of dethroned I guess by um Black Dow so it's just like this idea that how could he possibly have been king he's like got too many scores and too many you know rivalries and he's held it all together through the fear of his own hulking presence but you can't read a whole kingdom like that, and it's no yeah, surprise I mean, that it so rapidly fell apart for him.
1: That's true, and we, I mean, we've been seeing this throughout the the Bethod arc, if you will, in the last argument of Kings. Where a big chapter that stuck out to me is a chapter called Ghost. So, if anyone wants to read through th- this part again, uh, where there's all these moments where Logan is rationalizing his uh, like why he makes all these decisions that set him back on the path toward becoming the bloody nine again. It's all these like, Oh, like people ask me my name and like, well, I'm not a good liar. So I'm going to say Logan nine fingers. And it's like, what, what kind of, and you're kind of in Logan's head and you still kind of believe in him back when he's doing that or at least I did the first time around. And I'm like, oh yeah, like, sure, why not? And then uh, he's like getting into these situations where there's kind of a skirmish. And he's like, well, I've killed like a couple of them. I can't leave now without killing the rest of them. <laughs> and he does that assault on the, you remember this part, Charles, where he does a, a the, he gets into a skirmish with some folks when he's with the Union troops. He gets his own little union troops. Yeah, yeah. You're looking at me like funny. Um, yeah, hey, I'm just
0: trying to like, okay. <laughs> I kind of remember that. Yeah.
1: So he gets into a skirmish, and then he is like, "Oh well, I've killed a couple of them. I might as well go into their camp and kill the rest of them." Like, uh, and it's all just complete BS, dude. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's all just him saying things about how like oh well it's well.
0: like this whole decision to even go back north anyway and fight beth thought it's total bs it's him buying into this idea of himself and um not having anything better to do and also in part maybe in, in in some ways he's just he likes it and that's all he's he's just a yeah he's just attracted to fighting and violence and that's what he wants to do and he's trying to act like he's better than that and he's not really and I think that's something we start to realize with this final moment from Bethod. It's like you think you're so great, but this is all on you, man. And you're like, like this is who you are for real. And if you don't realize that, then you're like truly clueless, you know. In the in those moments, and you know, Logan's always trying to talk himself
1: out of it. I guess I just the the point I was trying to make is like, if you're starting, if you're just starting to realize this now, uh, not to. Not to say anything mean to anyone who would be. I guess I'm just like, the hints have been there all along. Yeah, for sure. It's not time to start thinking this. You know, you could also make those
0: parallels of like, you know, the North is always just known to be a little more um, direct and brutal and matter of fact and stuff. So like that kind of barbarian kind of nature of them. So you can kind of write some of it off as like, oh, you know, it's kind of like barbarian influence coming out here but yeah Logan time and time again has always been in the thick of violence and has accepted on more violence than maybe he had to in, in in any moment and he's always shocked people with how violent he tends to go and um like those moments where he's making his way back north and hangs out with that union crew is um certainly an early moment but I really think like Abercrombie trying to have us position our brains a little more directly with like, like let's kind of restructure how we think about Logan for real. Like I know we all like him and he's like a fun, he's like one of the better characters or whatever. He's the main character. We all love him, but um, how a good is he really? And how much of this did he bring on himself? And like all that kind of stuff. I thought yeah. it was a bunch of interesting questions being asked.
1: For sure. I guess I, I see this more as the like, the nail in the coffin of that yeah. arc than the like beginning of it is kind of where I was trying to go.
0: Yeah, I guess for me the nail in the coffin's when Black Dow betrays him, you know, it's just like and Dogman like but falls out of you know, doesn't like falls out of grace with Logan too. Dogman's like, do whatever you want, Logan. I'm so over you right now. Like, yeah. the, like Dogman doesn't start to think that way until after Bethod, you know, like everything is starting to collapse for Logan now that Bethod's dead. It's like all the cracks start to show, and it all comes tumbling down. And I feel like that was like the last nail in the coffin, like you said, for the inevitable just total collapse. Where Logan's right, right back to where he started in the water, you know,
1: jumping off of something. The Dog Man's a great. That's a great point, Charles. Is I think when you lose the Dog Man that's when you're truly lost so I guess that is the nail in the coffin I am kind of the Dow thing is like Black Dow betraying you obviously there's some great stuff where Dow will we'll get there but where Dao is kind of like you're worse than me yeah <laughs> that's great too but I guess uh, I I think even on my first read I was all like once this Bethod moment happens I was like oh Logan's Logan is a terrible, terrible person. And right. it was, I was just waiting for the dog man and folks to catch up, I felt like. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: that's pretty much what happens. I mean, he becomes a king, but it, it's already falling apart before it's, he's even done anything. And then the decision to go to the union was just another unpopular thing that he's done. And he's keeping everyone bended together through money and violence, and it's just not working.
1: Yeah. Well said, Charles. But. There's a lot more money and violence to be had when the Mm -hmm. Gurkish are laying siege to Adua, right? We're we're jumping into a lot of... uh, There's still intrigue going on at first in that Mm -hmm. storyline. There's all this you know it's it's glock to heavy so intrigue is kind of to be expected course, yeah. and even as the world is crumbling around them basically they are still trying like morovia is still having issues with salt and glock is trying to manage the fact that he's got these two masters trying to hold his leash in salt and then uh Valt and Balk. Uh, right. So uh, Salt both. basically
0: wants um, Glockta to investigate Baez and Valentin and Balk want to investigate salt, and so now he's between. I think it was called um, a rock and a high place, which um, was you know a, a joke on all the stairs to uh, <laughs> um, Salt's office. But basically, he's like, man, I've just pitted myself against two incredibly powerful people, and I don't know what to do. And Hardy Ardy had the idea of like, you need a third suitor, uh, which he's like, you know what, that actually might work. And that's when he pleads his case to Justice Morovia. So, literally, the Gurkish are laying siege to adua right now. And Salt, uh, Valenbach, Justice Morovia, they are all couldn't care less about it. They, they they are still working on their own scheming and political motivations. And Glock does just as involved in it. He recognizes the, like humor of it but he's like but what can i do like this is what i have to worry about right now <laughs> so it's interesting to see that all play out the typical union shenanigans that we're um quite used to at this point you know morovia is like well somehow both salt and Valentin bach know everything you're doing so i can't help you until you get your house in order which leads us to a really great Glockta moment here towards the end of the book. I love these moments of Glockta getting his house in order, so to speak.
1: But before he does, he has to confess, Charles. He has <laughs> to. He gets this moment. It's very interesting where Glockta, who has been getting everyone else to confess everything, has been holding in all of these secrets himself. Yes. and when he goes to Morovia. Where with this moment where Morovia tells him to get his house in order, he has to spill all the beans to the, his potential third master. It's really it's really interesting hearing Glockta's internal monologues on like, oh, wow, this is really refreshing to be the one. And he calls it confessing. Yeah. So classic Glockta stuff and part of what makes him such a great character.
0: Yeah, even now when he's confessing all his secrets, he can't help but see like a humorous angle to yes. it. He like has always removed himself from everything that's happened. And he's like, hmm, it's kind of interesting that now I'm confessing all of it and how good it feels, even though it pretty much means that I'm completely exposed. <laughs> and Like all this work that I've done is is now unraveling. And uh, why do I feel so good about it? You know, he still has those humorisms about him. And it it's so interesting And these moments. Like you said, he's someone that gets people to confess all the time. And here he is confessing.
1: Well said, Charles. So we do start getting some epic moments like you were talking about when we have Glockta trying to get his house in order and we start finding out that, so Glockta's trying to say, like, who's the, who's the mole here? Is it Severard or is it Frost or who who's telling on me? And of course, in classic Abercrombie fashion, both of them yes. are betraying and Lock that was to, such a just fun to twist. other masters yeah <laughs> yes
0: it was because like you buy in that one is obviously you know spilling the beans and I always suspected Severard, even back when he was like yeah I you know bought this building and I'll rent and I rent it out and I'm like okay like here's someone who's you know a little scheming a little business savvy you know like I got my eye on Severard looking out for his own self-interest but Frost is like you can't imagine frost having a political (laughs) alignment in any one direction or any like scheming or desire for like self-advancement or anything like what would he spend money on like you don't even know like frost just seems like a guy who likes to hurt people and is condemned to the shadows because he's albino you know so it's like um what is the situation there and you find out that You know, another dagger in the heart is Frost, too, was spying on behalf of Salt.
1: Yeah, Charles, it's it's interesting, too. This has always stuck out to me that Glockta asks Frost, like, why? Glockta's biggest thing is always he... He's usually ready to die if need be, but he wants to at least know why. He's always asking those questions. Mm. And he asks Frost, and Frost basically just shrugs. Yeah. And it's like, just as much as us, the readers, are like, "What are you, Frost, why would you yeah. even betray Glockto? What do you have in this? Frost doesn't even know. Yeah,
0: and Salt doesn't even treat Frost well. He calls him like a monster and all these other things and like an idiot and all this other stuff. And um, still, you know? He, he, it, it happens, and it's such a great moment where um, Glockta like his cane, is revealed to be a weapon, and he uses yes. it to stab Frost. And Artie, jab, jab. Ar, yeah, jab, jab. That's right. And Artie, like, hits him in the back of the head. And, you know, it's like all these like funny things where it's, and you kind of you're like, woo, that was like a great moment when, uh, <laughs> oh, definitely when uh, Glacta rises to the occasion, jab, jab on uh, on practical Frost. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And that's, it's, that's some of the genius of Abercrombie's work is just these tiny things like that. Jab, jab, Glockta. Jab, jab. We're talking about power balance as
0: well. It's like, it's still within Glockta's capabilities, even as someone who is as crippled as he is and damaged as he is he's still like you know if i catch him by surprise and stab him when he's not expecting it i could beat someone like frost you know it's like how does someone like glock to beat someone like practical frost who's been built up as this basically grunt who's has like insane feats of strength like he's the one that breaks the doors down and and like picks people up and just like, captures them just by grabbing onto them, you know? Like, how does Glock to take on that force, you know? And you get the surprise Artie wow. attack, and you get the surprise jab-jab. Mm-hmm.
1: And, yeah, in the right situation, he did win a contest, so he could give <laughs> him a jab-jab, just <laughs> like Marshall Veruz always wanted. Yes. So we got that moment, and it's beautifully executed.
0: R.I.P. Veruz.
1: <laughs> R.I.P. Veruz, R.I.P. to lots of folks, including Frost and Severard so yes. rough showing for those two and it's interesting because the only person that Glockta can depend on it seems time after time is the least dependable man anyone can think of <laughs> in Nicomo Kaska, who's yes. out there to help with his crew of mercenaries
0: that's right the famed soldier of fortune makes an appearance in these moments like we are mid siege right now on adua and or not, not adua um yeah, yeah adua okay good so the we're mid siege and glockta is trying to take down the archlector and he recruits um, famed soldier of fortune nikomaska and his mercenary grunts and you know they they're navigating the sewers. That was another funny like payoff thing. Was with Long, brother Longfoot. They're like, who do we have that can navigate the sewers? And of course, who was there? <laughs> but brother Longfoot himself. It's like, one of his many talents. One Charles. of his many talents. They um, navigate the sewers and they get to the House of Questions and then the University and they discover that Salt is using the dark arts in an attempt to rival Bias, And we also discover that part of using the dark arts is they're eating Morovia, his third suitor.
1: Yeah, well, they find Morovia's body just scattered yeah. basically everywhere, and something clues Glacta into the fact that it is Morovia. And yeah, there's all this just chanting and demonic stuff going on and salt i think bias said he got a peek behind the curtain or got a glimpse of the puppeteer and kind of had he was the only one who really had a sense that bias was the one pulling the strings the whole time yeah and he was trying to take action and i think it's there's no good guys here at the top right like salt is a terrible person Baez is probably the worst of them all. Kalol <laughs> doesn't seem so great either. So all these just... Salt was the only one, though, who's, like, anywhere near... Not on their level, but, like, aware that that level exists. Yeah, I guess, it's
0: interesting that it. you say that, because in my reread, I was like, you know, I don't think I've given Salt enough credit. Like, if, like that, if anyone of a commoner was going to take on Baez like he was going down the right path you know like he oh, recognized yeah. the threat and he immediately adopted this strategy of a of, of learning this opposite power you know so I'm like you gotta give Archlector kudos for that he maybe is not the most likable guy for being so cold and you know like kind of dismissive and You know, a bit intolerant and all that stuff, but he does quite intolerant. He does. He treats Glockta
1: really terribly. He treats
0: Glockta terribly. He says, you know, nasty things about all kinds of people. But he's always making the right moves, and he's accepting of reality, and he's adjusting, and he always knew the next step. It's just he was not expecting um, (laughs) Glockta to maneuver his way into the fray, and um, yeah, that. With the power of Nicomo, and crew, they're able to, you know, stop the proceedings and stop the rituals and put Archlector Salt into custody.
1: Yeah, and we get this epic moment where Glockta gets to make the arrest of Archlector Salt after all this time. And, And we got some... Salt, you could tell, was, I guess, seeing he was on a time crunch and the pressure and all this kind of stuff was getting to him where he was lashing out even more in this book, like treating Glockta even worse and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And you can see, I feel like Abercrombie was using those moments to make sure that this arrest of salt gets to feel like a big moment for Glockta where, yeah, Glockta a bad person and we see a lot more of him being a like various degrees of good and bad. Like Clark does some of the worst things anyone <laughs> does, does in the entire series. <laughs> and he also does some of the like most like selfless things in the series that can only cause pain for him and often does. So it's interesting <laughs> to Why see. Why does he but do any this... of it, Dylan? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question, Charles. <laughs> but
0: yes, he does. And I think also at this point, um, you know Glockta's strategy started to reveal itself, and like Archlector Salt already knew that um Glockta was compromised since the you know he was taking money from Ballant and box, so I think that's a combination of things right like Gurkish are at the door you know um uh, he has uh, salt has to make moves because he recognizes the threat of Baez as well as the Gurkish and he's kind of you know gotten you know glock number and is like okay well glock obviously compromised now and he started to withhold information from him and and bring on more people and you know all these other things so it all comes to a head now with this arrest which brings us to the next segment here which i called i don't know if you noticed making a my Ma- making a magi <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no, I think you nailed that, Charles. I saw that in the notes and I was like, nice. Yeah.
0: All right, everyone. That's going to be it for today. You know, we just had so much fun talking about the last argument of kings that the conversation went on for over 2 hours. So, we split the episodes in half, and I know just when we were started to talk about bias. Don't worry though, there's more bias More Making a Magi, as I called it hilariously just there. And we're going to get in-depth to every ending for every POV character. You're not going to want to miss it in part two coming out on Wednesday. If you like what you heard, you know what to do. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're on all of those platforms. Send us an email at theftfpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to show some love, all you Apple fans, reach out to us. Give us five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Toss five stars to your podcast, guys. We really appreciate it. But you know what? Just by getting to the end, just by listening, we appreciate it so, so, so much. So thank you all for listening. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.